you ready to jump in to our next study in this series? All right, a few people are, so we're going to do it anyways. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, God, we love you. And Father, I am so thankful for your word. Your word, which is truth and life to us. And Father, as we open your word today, God, I just pray that you would speak truth and life into our hearts. God, give us ears to hear what you want to speak to each one of us personally. God, we set our focus on you to hear from you. We lay aside distractions, and we ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Well, if you are joining us for the first time today, let me just quickly fill you in and let you know that we have been doing this series entitled Fervent because we are going through this book entitled Fervent by Priscilla Shire. And if you do not have a book and you didn't know and you haven't been going through it, no worries at all. That's okay. People who want to read the book are doing that on their own at home. And then each week our teaching ties into the theme of that week's reading. So each teaching here at Bridge Women is really independent of the book. So if you don't have the book and you haven't been going through it, no problem. Take a deep breath, relax, and I believe God will speak to all of us today, okay? And one thing that we've been seeing through this book is that there are specific areas where the enemy is strategic in his attacks against us. And we need to be aware of that. We're not talking about these things to give glory to the enemy, but we are talking about these things so that we can be women who are wise, women who are aware, and so that we can be strategic against him in prayer so that he will not gain any ground in our lives. Amen? So today, the topic that we're talking about and the area in which the enemy tries to be strategic against us is in the area of our hurts. There's all different kinds of hurts in life, aren't there? I mean, there's so many different kinds of hurts. I mean, sometimes we get hurt egos. Has anyone ever had a hurt ego? I'll, I'll tell you. Now, this happened several years ago, but I went to the gym, which is not a regular occurrence for me, and you're going to hear why. And uh, <laughs> so I had never been on the treadmills at this gym, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to use a treadmill. I'd used a treadmill before, but just not here. And so I get on the treadmill, and apparently I'm rather impatient because I start hitting the button for the speed, and it's so slow. It's just not going. So I'm hitting the button, hitting the button, hitting the button to go faster. Like, what is going on? Well, I didn't know I needed to be patient for a moment. And all of the sudden, the treadmill kicked in. <laughs> and I went whoop and went flying backwards. And just in the nick of time, caught myself before I landed on my face. And with two big strides, grabbed the handle <laughs> and held on for dear life until I could push the other button to get the speed down. Now, of course, it wasn't an empty gym. Of course, it was packed. And there's people on treadmills on both sides of me. And of course, they are like the 
gym going every day kind of people, you know. And needless to say, my ego was hurt. <laughs> and as I'm grabbing and pushing and trying to act like I'm calm and, oh, I meant to do this. <laughs> and regain my composure in the midst of it. I, I did have a hurt ego. There's all kinds of hurts that we experience in lives. But hurt egos really aren't the kind of hurts we're talking about today. I just wanted to give you a little laugh at my expense. <laughs> but you know, hurts do not wait and come to us later in life. Hurts can start even at a very young age. My precious little five-year-old granddaughter, Livy, who Ashley was just speaking about, the one belting it out in the car. She was at my house recently, and out of the blue, she said, Nani, I have these two friends at school, and well, one of them, she hasn't been nice to me, and she doesn't want to play with me on the playground. She only wants to play with the other friend. And Nani wanted to say, well, what is her name and what time is recess? But Nani didn't say that. But Nani did say, well, what is her name? Because we're going to pray for her. And we prayed for her. And I continued to pray for her. And then I kept asking Livy. How's it going? Is she being nice to you? No, she's not being nice to me. And she was hurt. Her feelings were hurt. She's only five years old. But her little heart was hurt over that. And then I asked her again, and guess what? Yes, she's being nice to me. Yay! <laughs> but you know, hurts can come at any age. And no matter what kind of hurt it is, how, how huge the hurt is, how deep the hurt is, how small the hurt is, when it's to us, it's a big deal, right? Hurts hurt. Is there anyone in this room who has never been hurt? Wait, let me look. Okay, because if any hands went up, I was going to come over and check your pulse. We've all been hurt, right? We've all been hurt countless times in our lives. Sometimes they're deep. Sometimes they're smaller things. But the enemy loves it when we are hurt because then he is one step closer to getting us bound up in unforgiveness and bitterness, which is his plan to cripple the effectiveness of our prayer lives and to paralyze us from moving forward in God's plan for our lives. We've got to understand that. And in our book, Priscilla Shire explains why our enemy would want to target this area of our life. And she says it like this. She says, if I were your enemy, I'd use every opportunity to bring old wounds to mind, as well as the people, events, and circumstances that caused them. I'd try to ensure that your heart was hardened with anger and bitterness, shackled through unforgiveness. 
You see, when we stop and think about it like this, we can recognize, yeah, this really is a tactic of the enemy because he is wanting to prevent us from experiencing all that God has for us. See, if hurts are not dealt with properly, they will develop into unforgiveness. And in 2 Corinthians 2, it tells us that unforgiveness truly is a scheme of the enemy. In this chapter, Paul is addressing a situation that happened in the Corinthian church where a lot of people were hurt by one person. And he instructs the people who were hurt to forgive and comfort that person who hurt them so that they would not be outwitted by Satan or ignorant of his schemes. He says, we need to forgive so that we're not outwitted by Satan because the alternative to forgiving is unforgiveness. And that is the scheme of the enemy. It makes it very clear in scripture. You know, we're all going to experience hurts in life. But how we deal with those hurts is so vitally important. And so today, I want us to look at a family in the Bible who all experienced hurt. However, they all dealt with it differently, and therefore, they all experienced a different result, different outcomes. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me today to Genesis 37. If you don't have your Bible, no problem. The verses will be on the screens. And we are going to look at the story of the sons of Jacob. Now, first of all, I want you to just recall the story where Jacob fell in love with Rachel. I mean, she was the woman of his dreams. They were madly in love, and Rachel's father told Jacob that he could marry her if he worked for him for seven years. So he said, sure thing, I will do it. He worked for him for seven years. He said it was as if it was just a few days because I was so desperately in love with Rachel. But then when it came time for the wedding, they had the wedding ceremony, and the next morning, he discovered that his father-in-law had tricked him, and he married Rachel's older daughter. And the father-in-law said, oh, well, you have to marry the older daughter before you can get the younger daughter. Now, how that happens that he didn't know, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but that's the story. Okay. <laughs> so... His father-in-law told him he had to work another seven years for Rachel. So he did that because he absolutely adored Rachel. Now, what I want you to see is that Jacob had 12 sons, but only two of them were from Rachel, the woman he desperately loved. And in Genesis 37, verse 3, it tells us that Jacob, or Israel, as God referred to him, loved Joseph more than all of his children. You see, Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, the wife of his dreams. Now, she had one other son many, many years later, Benjamin. And that was her second 
son, and she died during childbirth. And so Jacob had said, Joseph is my beloved, my favorite. And it was obvious to the entire family that Joseph was his favorite. He treated him differently, and he made this very special coat for him, a coat of many colors and exotic threads and this very special possession to give him. Can you imagine the hurt of the other brothers? When this younger brother comes into the scene, and all of a the sudden their father's attention completely turns to him, neglecting them completely. Imagine the hurt that they would have felt seeing the favoritism and preferential treatment given to Joseph by their father. And look what it says in Genesis 37, verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Another translation says they never spoke a kind word to him. No question, these brothers were deeply hurt. And then Joseph has these dreams about how his whole family is going to bow down before him. Well, that did not help matters at all. Then they hated him even more, it tells us. But I want us to see today, how did the brothers deal with their hurt? They dealt with their hurt like most humans do. They continued the cycle of hurt. They never spoke kindness to him. They hurt Joseph with their words. Today, that would be called verbal abuse. But it didn't end there. When their father, uh, when the brothers were out in the field, their father sent Joseph to check on them. And when they saw him coming, they conspired to kill him. And when he got close enough, they attacked him. They stripped that pretty little coat off of him. And they threw him into an empty water cistern where they were going to leave him to die. And while he's in there, and they're sitting there enjoying their lunch, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelite traders passing by. And they got the idea, wait a minute, we could sell him. That would be better. We'd get a little money for him. His blood wouldn't be on our hands. What a great idea. So they sold him. They trafficked. They trafficked their brother sold him as a slave. Not only did they let their hurt cause them to horrifically hurt Joseph, imagine the hurt they also caused to their father. They killed his beloved son. Or, I'm sorry, they wanted to kill him, but they sold him. They didn't know what was going to become of him. The hurt that that would have brought to their father. They killed a goat, and they dipped that coat of Joseph's in the blood of the goat. And then they brought it home to their father. Look what we found. I mean, it kind of resembles Joseph's. Do you think this is Joseph's coat? That's what they asked their father. And their father was devastated. 
And he was convinced that wild animals had ripped his beloved son to shreds. And he wept and he said he would go to his grave mourning his son. Their hurt caused them to hurt. Have you heard the expression, hurt people hurt people? It's so true. And that's exactly what they did. Now, let's see what the result was of the way they handled their hurt. The result was that their hurt did not end. Even over 20 years later, when they were experiencing severe famine and they had to go to Egypt to find food to stay alive and they were told that they had to go and bring back their youngest brother, Benjamin, they went and they talked to their father and they told him that they needed to do that. And do you know what their father said to them at that time? He said, if Benjamin does not return to me, I will die. He is all I have left. Can you imagine the stab in the heart to these other children, his other sons? He is still 20 years later not even recognizing them as sons. The hurt just continued. Those brothers, they were suffering. They were living in famine. And extreme hurt still existed between them and their father. Ladies, too many people still live like that today. They become hurt, and that hurt turns into unforgiveness and bitterness, and they end up perpetuating the cycle by hurting others and never finding healing. But now, in contrast to how those brothers dealt with their hurt, I want us to look at how Joseph dealt with his hurt. Because Joseph, he was very hurt as well. Even though he may have been the favorite son, he experienced verbal abuse from his brothers. Ten of them, ten brothers. Can you imagine the insults, the harsh words, the abuse? And that verbal abuse creates emotional and mental turmoil. And then they physically abused him. They attacked him. They ripped off his coat. They wanted to kill him. Then they sold him into slavery. Joseph had a lot of hurt to deal with. Would anyone agree? Yeah. But watch what happens. When he arrives in Egypt... The Ishmaelite traders sell him to Potiphar, who's a high-ranking officer of Pharaoh, the captain of his guard. And it says that Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph, and God prospered everything Joseph touched. And Potiphar made him his own personal attendant and put him in charge of his entire household. He trusted Joseph completely. Things couldn't have been going better for Joseph in Egypt, in this new place where he found himself, until he runs into a little trouble with Potiphar's wife. And the Bible says that Joseph was young and that he was very handsome and that he was in very good shape. You know, he probably used his treadmill every day. 
And it tells us that Potiphar's wife regularly tried to seduce him. But Joseph always resisted her advances. And he'd always escape telling her, I am loyal to your husband Potiphar, and I am loyal to God. He maintained his integrity and his godly character. However, the last time that she tried to seduce him, as he was trying to escape, she grabbed the back of his garment, his shirt, the coat, whatever he had on. She grabbed it, and he escaped, but she had that garment. And she was mad because he'd been rejecting her. And so she decided that she would show him. And she accused him of rape. And she went and told everyone, including her husband, that Joseph had raped her. And Potiphar was furious. And he threw Joseph into prison. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's Joseph. He is now away from his home where he was deeply hurt by his brothers. And now he's in a new place where he's been incredibly valued, where people have seen God's hand and favor upon him, a place where he has been loved and very, very trusted. But now everyone who has trusted him has instantly turned on him and questioned his integrity. Can you imagine how much that hurt him? That could have triggered all the hurt of his past and caused him to be incredibly angry. Most people would have yelled out, she's a liar, she's a liar. We don't see any sign of Joseph responding like that. He did not spew out any anger. He did not yell and try to defend himself. He went to prison. And in prison, look at what happened in Genesis 39, starting in verse 21. It says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. God continued to bless Joseph even in prison, because he kept a right heart. And then while he's in this prison, Pharaoh becomes angry with his chief butler and baker. And so he throws them into prison. And one night they both have dreams that they're wishing they could understand and have an interpretation to. And so Joseph told them, well, only God can interpret dreams. And he said, tell me your dream, and I'll see if God gives me the interpretation. So they told him his dreams, and Joseph gave the interpretations as God led him. And then he told them, now, when you get out of here, can you remember me? And mention me to Pharaoh. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, we will, no problem. So they get out, 
Their dreams come to pass exactly the way Joseph had said, but there is no mention of Joseph to Pharaoh. So here he is in this third place. He experienced all these hurts at home from his brothers. Then he's in Potiphar's house, and everyone who loved and trusted him turned on him. He experienced terrible hurt there. And now here he is in this third place, in this prison where he is forgotten about. He could have so easily had a pity party. He could have felt sorry for himself and drowned in depression, but he didn't. And two whole years later, Pharaoh himself has a dream. And he needs to have this dream interpreted. And suddenly, the chief butler, oh yeah, the light bulb went on. Wait a minute, I forgot about this guy in prison that interpreted my dream. He's like, hold the show, Pharaoh. I have a guy for you. And so they go and they get Joseph and they bring him. And then Pharaoh's like, I need someone to interpret my dream. And once again, Joseph says, only God can interpret dreams. He never tries to take credit. He never allows pride to creep in. He keeps a humble heart. And then Pharaoh told him his dream. And Joseph gave him the interpretation, and he told them that this was God letting him know that seven years of great abundance were coming, which would be followed by seven years of severe famine. And they needed wise management of the harvest during those years of abundance so that they would still have plenty for the years of famine. And so look at how Pharaoh responds to the interpretation of these dreams in Genesis 41, starting in verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Wow. As we see how Joseph's life unfolds, never once do we see him living out of his hurt, hurting others as a result of his own hurt. Somehow, he walked out his hurt very differently than his brothers did. He had a right heart. He maintained integrity and godly character, and he relied on God for wisdom. And he gave God all the credit. He wasn't prideful. He remained humble. And what was the result? He was incredibly blessed. He was favored. God's hand was on him everywhere he went. He became second in command over all of Egypt. Wow. The result can be very different when we handle our hurts properly with God and keep God at the center of our lives. Ladies, hurts will come. But when we deal with them properly with God, we invite God's working and God's blessings into our lives. You know, often people say, but it still happened. 
that hurt that came to me, it still happened. I still remember. Does forgiving mean that we're excusing their actions or pretending it never happened? I think Joseph answers that question for us a little bit later when he has two sons of his own. Look with me at Genesis 41 in verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. That word forget, it literally means neglect. Yes, those memories, the hurts of his father's house, sure, they're still there, but he doesn't go there. He neglects those memories. He doesn't get sucked back into them. He doesn't rehearse them over and over in his mind. He neglects them and is able to forget all the hardship that happened in his father's house. And then look at the name he gives his second son. The name of the second he called Ephraim. And that means, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Okay, so the first son is named because he's able to forget the toil, the hardship of his father's house. But now here in Egypt, he's acknowledging, yeah, there's been affliction here too. It hasn't all been easy, but it doesn't matter. God has blessed me. God has made me fruitful here. I don't need to hold on to that stuff. I don't need to cling to it. I don't need unforgiveness in my life. God has blessed me and made me fruitful here. He is saying, yes, the hurts happened, but I've found freedom. And my sons are going to walk in that freedom as well. He made that his declaration. And because he found freedom, he was able to extend extreme forgiveness and grace and mercy and generosity to his brothers when they came to Egypt during the famine to find food. And his brothers came, and they stood before Joseph asking for food to spare their lives and the lives of their families. And they had no idea that it was their brother standing in front of them. And through a whole series of events, which we don't have time to read today, finally Joseph reveals his identity to them. And it says that he couldn't contain himself any longer. He broke down and he wept so loudly. It was heard all throughout Pharaoh's household. And his brothers were shocked at this news. They couldn't believe it. But listen to Joseph's very next word to his brothers in Genesis 45, starting in verse 5. But now, do not therefore be grieved. He's talking to these brothers who abused him. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Wow. He extended incredible grace and mercy and, and forgiveness to them. You see, when we choose to be free from our hurts, it will bring freedom and healing to others as well. Can you imagine the shame and the guilt they had carried for the last 20 plus years? But he extended freedom to them and healing. And he, because of the way he walked it out, he lived with an eternal perspective where he was able to see God's hand in it. And ladies, I want to tell you, whatever hurts you've been through, if you deal with them properly, God will use that. He will use your story. He will use you to encourage others who face similar things along the way. And the remainder of the story unfolds, and we see the most incredible picture of redemption and restoration within a family because one family member was willing to forgive and stop the cycle of hurt. I tell you, yesterday as I read through this story multiple times, every time I read it, I just wept. I've read this story countless times in, in the past, but I still am so gripped in my heart when I read it at the incredible story of redemption, how only God can do that when we cooperate with him and let him work. One person in this family was willing to let God work through them, and it brought restoration to the whole family. Maybe you are here and you have a lot of hurt happening in your family. I want you to know you can be that one. You can be the one who brings the hurt to God and allows him to bring healing and freedom to you. And then he'll cause healing and freedom to flood through you onto them. You can be that one. Or maybe you're here and you've been dealing with a hurt that really isn't pertaining to your family. Maybe it's a completely different scenario Remember, Joseph had a whole lot of scenarios. He was falsely accused of rape. He was forgotten about in prison. But he walked out all the hurts the same. No matter what your hurt is, no matter who you need to forgive, do not let the enemy keep you bound in unforgiveness any longer. I've been there. I know that forgiving is not always easy, especially when it's something major, when it's been a deep, deep wound. And sometimes we don't know exactly how to forgive. You know, we can look at this story of Joseph and be inspired by his story, but walk away not knowing how did he do that. How did he keep a right heart? How did he maintain his integrity? How did he walk into God's blessings? 
I want us to leave here today not just being inspired by a, an amazing story. I want us to leave with some tools in our hands. And the Bible gives us some very clear tools of how to forgive. And I want us quickly to look at Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Isn't that what the world tells us? Sure, love your neighbor, love those who are kind to you, but hate your enemy. But Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wow. This verse gives us three very practical, doable tools that are also very countercultural. They go against what society says, and they go against what our flesh usually wants to do. The first thing I want us to see from these verses is pray. Pray for those who have hurt us. Tool number one, pray for those who have hurt you. See, usually when we're hurt, our flesh wants to hurt back. But that didn't work out so well for Joseph's brothers when they tried that approach. Jesus says to us, pray. Pray for those who have hurt you. If we don't pray for them, the unforgiveness will prevent us from coming to God to pray for anything or anyone else. Remember, it's a scheme, a tactic of the enemy to keep us from God, to keep us from praying. Ladies, I want you to know that forgiveness that you might not want to give right now, it can be found and accessed in prayer. I have learned the power of prayer for someone who deeply hurt me. I have discovered personally how powerful that is. And I'll tell you, I'm not talking about the kill him, God, kill him kind of prayer. <laughs> Although I've had my moments of wanting to pray those kinds of prayers. None of you, I'm sure, would ever have, but I have. But I had to get past that and pray genuinely and sincerely and start praying blessings over their life. And you know what happened? Wow, it did something on the inside of me. It did something in my heart. It broke the chains of unforgiveness. And I want to tell you, when the thoughts start to come to try to rehearse the hurt, because they do, we all know that, don't go there. Let prayer be what you go to. As soon as those thoughts come, catch the thoughts. Start to pray for that person. Let prayer change your thoughts. Because I can tell you from personal experience that I have learned that there is a supernatural forgiveness that we can walk in that is not something we can ever do in our own human strength. It only comes through prayer. 
And as I experienced that forgiveness, I experienced such freedom. Ladies, there is incredible power in praying for those who have hurt us. And then the second thing that verse tells us is to bless those who hurt you. Pray for them and bless them. You know what that word bless literally means? It comes from a Greek word, eulogio. Sound familiar? It's where we get our word eulogies from. You know all the nice things people say at someone's funeral? We should be speaking nice things while we're alive, and we should be speaking words of kindness to those who have hurt us. To bless, it means to speak well of. So let me ask you, what comes out of your mouth about the people who have hurt you? Oh, I hear some chuckling. (laughs) Our flesh loves to talk negatively about them, doesn't it? Because we want to make sure everybody knows what they did to us, right? But Jesus says, speak well of them. And then the third thing we see in that verse is do good to those who hurt you. Huh. We love to do good to those we love and those who do good to us, but Jesus said to do good also to those who hate you. Wow. Society tells us to do all kinds of things to those who hurt us, but good is not one of them. Remember, his ways are higher than ours. And when we choose to walk in his ways, it can change everything. Ladies, I want to tell you, if we sincerely put those three simple tools, I know, they sound simpler than they are, but we can do them. But if we put those simple tools to work in our life, we will find ourselves walking in forgiveness and freedom I have personally seen those principles work in my life in areas where I needed to forgive some very major things. But you know what? Recently, I've been thinking about that verse, even in regards to the littlest of things. Even before something becomes a hurt, has anyone ever been frustrated with someone or annoyed by someone? Yeah, okay, I'm not alone. All right. So you know what? Lately, I've been thinking about this verse in regards to even frustrations and annoyances because I don't want them to grow and turn into hurts. And so if I've gotten frustrated with someone or annoyed by someone, I'm going to pray for them. I've started praying for them, speaking well of them, doing good to them. And you know what happens? The frustration vanishes. The annoyance is gone. I don't want to give even the slightest room to the enemy. These simple tools are incredibly powerful, and they will keep us free from the enemy's scheme to paralyze us with unforgiveness if we put them to work. But you know, today, maybe you're here and Maybe you're really hurting. Maybe you've got some some real hurts in your life right now. 
can I just tell you that God wants to bring healing to you today? The Bible tells us that he is the healer of the brokenhearted. And in Isaiah 53, it's speaking prophetically of Jesus' death on the cross. And it says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know that word sorrows, it literally means our anguish, our pain, our hurts. You see... Jesus didn't just give his life on that cross of Calvary for the redemption of our souls. It was far more than that. He gave his life for the healing of our bodies, for peace for our minds, and for wholeness in the depths of our soul. And so often we live life without experience all that has already been paid for on Calvary for us. And if you're here today and you're hurting, he wants you to find healing in him. And early this morning, as I was praying for all of you who would be here today, there were a couple things. I felt God just speak to my heart. And I felt like he just said that there is someone here today who has been holding anger and resentment and unforgiveness towards someone who has already passed away. And you're thinking that it doesn't really matter. They're gone. It's not affecting anyone. Nobody knows I'm carrying this in my heart. It's no big deal. The God of this universe, your creator, sees you, and he sees that pain on the inside, and he says it is a big deal, sweetheart, because it's preventing you from walking into all that he has for you in your future. And today, he wants to bring healing to your heart once and for all. And we're going to pray for healing in a few moments. But one other thing that I felt like God just spoke to my heart this morning. This may be one person, it may be multiple people, but maybe you're here and you've been molested or you've been raped. And you're sitting there thinking, but doesn't forgiving excuse what they've done? I want to tell you today, no, no, it doesn't. Nothing can excuse what they've done, and I'm so sorry if that has happened to you. Your father sees you, and that pain in your heart is breaking his heart. And that pain broke his heart so much that it caused him to give his life for you to take on all of that abuse that he experienced on the cross of Calvary, to carry that pain so you would not have to live with that pain any longer. Think about the pain that Jesus endured. Those who were 
beating him, mocking him, whipping him with the cat of nine tails, with the pieces of sharp glass and metal that were ripping his skin off of his frame, beating him beyond recognition. And do you know what he did? He prayed for them. And he forgave them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Spirit of God, who caused him to be able to do that, dwells in us and can help us forgive. Maybe you're thinking, but does that mean I have to, I have to bless them? I have to do good to them? Do I have to go make cookies for them? No. But you will do good by praying. Start with praying. And just as Jesus prayed for his abusers, as you start to pray for your abuser, God will bring healing to your heart. He will bring freedom. And he will break the chains of that bondage off of you so that you can move forward into the future he has for you. And if you're thinking you don't know what to pray, pray for their salvation. Pray for their healing. Maybe they had a life of tremendous hurt that caused them to hurt. Pray that God would help you to see them as he sees them. But start with a simple, sincere prayer because it can change everything. And I'm sure there are all kinds of other hurts in this place today too. And I want to pray for those of you who are dealing with hurts. And I just want to ask everyone just to close your eyes in this place. And can we just lift our hands to heaven? And if that's you and you need God's healing, I want you with your hands raised just to receive his healing power this morning. And if you're not in that place of hurt today, would you begin to pray for those others in this room who are? Father, we come before you right now. And God, I thank you for your daughters in this place. You love them completely. You know them by name. You adore them. And Father, you see every hurt. And God, right now, as they release those things to you and invite you and your healing power in, God, I pray that you would rush in like a flood. God, that you would pour your healing deep into the depths of their souls. God, that they would recognize that Jesus took all abuse and pain on himself to bring our freedom so that we would not have to carry that pain any longer. And Father God, I pray right now that women would begin laying those things at your feet in exchange for your healing and your freedom in Jesus' name. I thank you and I praise you, Father, for your healing power at work. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Oh, Father, we trust you and we thank you for doing a deep and thorough work in women's lives to bring complete freedom. 
Thank you, Jesus. And while your heads are still bowed, maybe you're in this place today. And maybe you've never fully surrendered your life to God. Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you know people who live for God, but you've never fully surrendered to him. And today you want to say, God, I'm all in. I want the life you created me to live. And you want to surrender your life to him and ask him to truly be Lord of your life today. I just encourage you right there in your chair, at your table, in your own words, in your own heart, ask Jesus to become the Lord of your life. Tell him that you are surrendering all to him that you are choosing to live for him from this day forward. Ask him to be your Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ladies, our God is a healer. He's a healer of the brokenhearted. He shed his blood and gave his life for our salvation, and that encompasses healing in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally. He wants us to experience all of that. And I encourage you, if you're in need of that continued healing work, don't let this be a one-time thing. Carve out time. Get alone with God. Spend time pouring it out to him. There may be a process where you are pouring it all out. He knows it all anyways. Spend time with him and let him pour his healing and freedom continually into your life. All right? Now, in this series, we've been concluding each time of teaching with a written prayer, because in this book, Priscilla Shire encourages us, and we've seen the power in writing our prayers for that specific area that we've been talking about. And each week, whoever's teaching reads their prayer as an example, but also as something that we can all tie our hearts around. And I've written my prayer for this area, but I want to ask you to just... As I share my prayer with you in conclusion today, would you wrap your hearts around this? Because my prayer is really much of a declaration of freedom. And we can make this together our declaration of freedom. And remember, she encourages us to put our prayers in that simple format with using the acronym PRAY. Praise, repent, ask and yes, putting ourselves in agreement with God's word. So that's the format I've used. But would you just join me as I pray my prayer today? Father, I praise you and I thank you that you are my healer. And when I bring my hurts to you, you pour healing power into my life. I thank you that you have forgiven me of much and I can also forgive others of much. Thank you that you set me free from hurts and unforgiveness so that I can bring freedom to others. And God, right now I repent for times that I've given into my fleshly nature and held on to a hurt or allowed hurts to lead me into unforgiveness. 
forgive me for times when I didn't pray for people who hurt me or didn't speak well of them or do good to them. Now I ask that you would help me to quickly recognize whenever I have anything against anyone so that I would deal with it quickly and refuse to let unforgiveness take hold of me. Help me to keep those instructions from Jesus as a regular part of my life. Help me to always pray for people who hurt me, to speak well of them and to do good to them so that I will keep a right and pure heart just as Joseph did and live in your freedom. Help me to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving others just as God in Christ has also forgiven me. And now I thank you for the truth and wisdom of your word. And I put myself in agreement with your word. And I declare a resounding yes and amen that according to Psalm 40, you have lifted me up out of the pit of hurt. And you've set my feet upon a rock. And you've established my steps and put a new song in my heart that many will see you and put their trust in you. And according to John 8, 36, I am free because who the Son sets free is free indeed. And that freedom will bring freedom to others because Isaiah 61.1 says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. Thank you that your promises are true and alive in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I want to encourage you to dig out scriptures for yourself, write out your prayer, and live in the forgiveness and freedom of God, all right? And so, we don't have very much time left, but if you want to take a few minutes at your tables, if you haven't introduced yourself, please do that first. But maybe just share some scriptures that you can pray over your life to be free from hurts. All right. Can't wait to see you and all the people you're going to bring on Easter. And I'm looking for your praise report cards. All right. Love you, girls. <laughs>